Good evening, everybody. So very good to see you. I always feel like a flight attendant when I say, we know you have many choices when you fly, or we, we know you have many places you could be tonight. Uh, but what we do, we know that you have many places you could be tonight. We know that there are lots of things you could be doing, and you chose to, to participate in our Bible study tonight. And so thank you uh, for being here. We, we love you. I love you and appreciate you and so thankful uh, to, to go through this study with you uh, over the last few weeks. It's been... I. I know for me, I hope for you as well, it's been challenging to, to sort of expose the fact that there's more to Christian sexuality than just do and do not, as, than just the rules. In fact, I love the fact that Reggie just sang that song, Love Lifted Me, because that's, that's what it's all about. It's all about the fact that the love of God, the love of God is, is that which our entire life should be oriented around. Our entire life, everything we are, everything we have, everything that we do is so transformed and changed because of the love of God expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ that 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 truth that God so loved us and his love so changes us and transforms us and is what our heart really ultimately, what our heart is ultimately craving and looking for. Again, we, we tend to be looking for love. I promise I wouldn't say looking for love in all the wrong places, but we, we, we do. We tend to look for love in all of the wrong places. But when we look for love in the love of God, when we find love, ultimate love, in the cross of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. But, but in response, the only, the only logical, the only reasonable, the only right response to the mercies of God is to surrender everything in return. That's what Romans chapter 12 says, isn't it? That we offer our entire body to God as a living sacrifice. And throughout the New Testament, I was thinking about passages like Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do Everything that we refrain from doing, everything we eat, everything we drink, everything we say, every action we take, everything in our life is supposed to be a response to God, response to his love. And so everything that we do is supposed to be in service to God, which means, going back to what we said last week, that an idol, an idol is any created thing pursued as an end in itself. That an idol is any created thing, whether you created it or God created it, but it's a created thing, which by nature is good, right? Good, because it's created. God, everything that God created is good. And so you take a created thing, and then you make that created thing an end in itself. In other words, anything that becomes more to you than a means of serving God. If, as, as recipients of God's love, if everything that we do and everything we say, everything we eat, everything we drink, everything we abstain from doing, if everything we do is supposed to be in service to God, then idolatry is anything that we do that is not in service to God. It's in service to something else. 
And again, as we've said throughout this series, one of the things that we've done so very much in, in our modern world is that we have, we have deified the self. We have made ourselves our, our own God, and we worship and serve the self. And so anything that we do merely because I want to, I feel like it, this makes me happy, for no greater purpose than this is what I want, this is what I crave, that is idolatry. Idolatry is pursuing anything as an end in itself. Now, if we take a good thing, whether that's food or whether that's marriage or whether that's romance or it's a job or whatever, whatever it is, and we use it as a means, as an avenue of serving God, then it can, it can have its rightful place. And all of those things, marriage and jobs and careers and family and food and drink and all, all of these things can be used in service to God. But when we exalt them, so that they become ultimate things, they become an end in themselves, then they become idolatrous. And, and one of the things that we're doing in this class, hopefully, is exposing some of our idolatry around sexuality. That we live in a, in a world, and I, I don't know that in some ways it's too much different than any world. Every, every, every culture has worshipped something like Aphrodite. Every culture has worshipped romance or sex or procreation or lust or whatever it might be. And we have exalted these things. Sometimes we've even, we've even baptized our idols and we've taken a Christian version of those things like marriage. And we might even make marriage an ultimate thing. Make marriage, which is a good thing, is a God-instituted thing. Or even sex within marriage, which we said last week is a good thing. But when we take those things and we make them an end in themselves, we make them something idolatrous. And, and what we want to do in this class, hopefully, is expose some of that idolatry. To say these, these things like sex can be good. They can be good things, but they cannot be God's. Romance can be good, but it cannot be a God. Marriage can be good, but it cannot be a God. If you try to make it a God, it will destroy you. It will ruin you. It is toxic when you deify things that are not God. It, it will disappoint you. It will ultimately, ultimately leave you with unfulfilled desires. So this, tonight we're going to talk about celibacy, and, and I think it's important to understand what a unique idea it is to celebrate celibacy, to celebrate singleness. And really, the Bible does a tremendous job, the New Testament especially, does a tremendous job celebrating celibacy, celebrating singleness, but the church, especially today, it probably ha could do a lot better in celebrating singleness and bringing out what the Bible actually says, what the New Testament says, what Jesus says about singleness. But what Jesus says about singleness was radical in his day, and it's still radical in our day. I thought it was really interesting that in ancient Judaism, the idea of remaining single was not really an option or really not something that people did. In fact, uh, one source says this. 
about the, the perspective of the Jewish people, even in, in Jesus' day. Every man is obliged to marry in order to fulfill the duty of procreation. And whoever is not engaged in propagating the race is as if he shed blood, diminishing the divine image and causing his presence to depart from Israel. So when we think about marriage and when they thought about marriage are a little bit different. We, we both tend to exalt and elevate marriage, but in different ways. For, for them, marriage was primarily about procreation, right? It was primarily about procreation, and it was primarily a responsibility, a responsibility that they felt like they had because one of the first commandments was be fruitful and multiply. And if you're not being fruitful and multiplying, you're disobeying God and you're, you're, you're dishonoring him. You're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be propagating the human race, the image bearers of God. And if you're not doing that, then you're, you're sinning and you're not fulfilling your responsibility. That's how they would have thought about it then. And when we think about marriage today, we primarily think about marriage in terms of personal fulfillment and happiness. But we've, we've really made it just as important, but in a very different way, haven't we? Where we've convinced ourselves, we've all but convinced ourselves anyway, that it's, it's not even possible to be a, a whole person, to really be living a full life if you're not married or in a romantic relationship or having sex. And we've convinced ourselves that, that having sex or being in a romantic relationship or finding your soulmate or, or having romance or being married, we've convinced ourselves that these things are of utmost importance and we really can't be a fulfilled individual. We can't find fulfillment and happiness and joy without these things. This, this is a problem, isn't it? Because we have elevated these things so that they have become not just good things. Again, again, we, we talked at length last week about this, these things are good. Romance is good. Marriage is good. Sex is good. But they're not ultimate. You can be happy. You can have joy. You can live a life that, that pleases God without these things. In fact, we all better get used to it because at one point or another, every person has to abstain from sex, right? At one point or another, whether short-term or long-term, everyone has to abstain. And in fact, Jesus has a whole lot to say about people who spend a lifetime single and celibate. Look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 10. Now, in context, we'll, we'll probably will spend more time in this, in this chapter later on, but in context, Jesus is talking to them about marriage. And again, if you live in a culture where you're obligated, like you're obligated to get married, you have a responsibility to get married at a very young age, by the way, like for women, you know, just as soon as, as you've hit puberty, uh, for men, you know, maybe around 20 or so, you have a responsibility to get married so that you can have lots of babies and that you can continue to, to increase your, your tribe. So they saw that as a communal responsibility, a responsibility that every good citizen, every good Jewish person was going to participate in. And, and the, only, the only sort of caveat, the, the only sort of thing that made it bearable maybe for some was that, well, if you don't like the wife that you have, you can trade her in and get a different one. 
until Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 that was never God's intention for you to trade in your wife and get another one. Marriage is a permanent, a permanent arrangement that when God joins two people together, they should not be separated. They have become one flesh. And that for a man to leave his wife to go marry another woman, that's adultery, even if he does give her a certificate of divorce. And so the, the people that are hearing Jesus, again, are, are shocked, right? Because again, they're, they're really, again, we, we tend to think about personal choice and personal happiness and, and freedom, but they're thinking about marriage probably in terms of this is an institution or arrangement that I had to get into, but now you're telling me that once I enter into it, there's no getting out of it. And so here's the disciples' response, verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Now, I think when they said that, when they said that, if, if that's the case, Jesus, if if marriage is really a permanent arrangement, that once you enter into marriage, that's it, that you should not break that, that bond, that, that covenant, if that's the case, then it would be better not to get married. And, and I, I think that they expected to Jesus to say, no, 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 you, you misunderstood. Like, that's not the case. It's not better to, to not marry. I don't think that they expected Jesus to agree with them, but essentially, he does. He does, he agrees with them. He says, actually, for some people, not for everybody, for, for some people, for some people, it would be better for them not to marry. Now, that was a radical idea then, and it's a radical idea now, isn't it? I mean, how many of us as parents... How many of us as parents put the expectation in our children's mind that we expect you to, to get married and have grandkids and you know, do this, this, this way of life? Or, or how many of us introduce the idea that for some people, it would be better not to marry? Are, are we even entertaining that possibility of singleness and celibacy? Jesus says, for some people, it would be better for them not to marry. Not everyone can receive the saying that it's better not to marry, but those to whom it is, what's the word there? Given. Given. Actually, that word is like gifted. Gifted. Those to whom it is gifted. That singleness and celibacy, not being married, is a gift. It's a gift. And again, again, we, because we have so elevated marriage, and again, I'm not saying marriage is bad. Marriage is good. God instituted it. God, God blessed it. There's so many good things. We'll talk more about marriage next week. But this week, we're talking about the gift of singleness, the gift of celibacy. Jesus says, to some people, it is gifted, this life of singleness. Here's how it's gifted. Look at verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, he's using the word eunuch, and, and eunuch is somebody who has been castrated. And he says there, there's different kinds of people who have be, become 
celibate. I don't think he means, especially when he talks about made themselves eunuch, I don't think he's talking about self-mutilation here. Most commentators don't think he's talking about self-mutilation. He's talking about people that have chosen celibacy. And he says that there there are some people that have chosen celibacy, and there are other people that have had celibacy chosen for them. There are some people that have had singleness chosen for them. There are those that have had birth defects, and so they've been eunuchs or celibate from birth. And there are those who have been made eunuchs that literally have been castrated. They would take servants, especially those that served in, in the, the harem or with the women, and they would castrate them so that they could trust this man amongst the women that he wouldn't take advantage of them. And then there are others that have chosen a life of celibacy. And so you have two kinds of people that, ha- that are celibate. Those that are, have a self-imposed, self-imposed celibacy and those who have a situationally imposed celibacy. So those who have freely, voluntarily chosen it and those who have had it chosen for them. But again, what Jesus is saying is that this, this singleness is for them a gift, For them, it's a gift. Both the situationally imposed celibacy and the self-imposed celibacy. That it is a gift. That some people have the gift of singleness. And again, they didn't think of singleness as a gift. And we tend to not think of singleness as a gift. But Jesus is turning things upside down. And we have to rethink how we think about romance and marriage, and sexuality, and relationships. And Jesus says that for some people, this is given to them as a gift. Now notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say that celibacy is a gift only if it makes you happy, right? He doesn't just say, well, for some people, it makes them happy. It makes them happy to to live a single life. So if it makes you happy, then go do that. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. We tend, again, we tend in our world, in our way of thinking, we tend to run everything through that filter. Do what makes you happy. If marriage makes you happy, then get married. If singleness makes you happy, then stay single. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Because he's saying some people didn't have a choice about it. Some people had singleness imposed on them. And I'm sure that if someone was captured as a servant and they were castrated... That didn't make them happy. That that wasn't fulfilling for them. But Jesus says, nonetheless, nonetheless, some people, whether they chose it for themselves or someone else or nature itself chose it for them, for them, it's a gift. It's a gift. Now, again, we might think about, well, how can that be a gift? How can it be a a gift for, for someone to choose singleness for you? Or for nature to to choose it for you. For you to have to remain single even though that that may not be what you want to do. Now notice what he says. That those who who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the what? Kingdom of heaven. That's what it's about, isn't it? It isn't about if marriage makes you happy, then get married. If singleness makes you happy, then stay single. It's about do what is best for the kingdom of heaven. It's about surrendering your life to Jesus, surrendering your life to God, 
Surrendering what you have and what you don't have. Surrendering your strengths, surrendering your weaknesses. If you're married, surrendering your marriage. If you're single, surrendering your singleness. If you're a eunuch because of nature or because someone imposed it upon you, surrendering that to the Lord. Saying, Lord, all that I have, my marriage, my singleness, my riches, my poverty, my strength, my weakness, it's yours. And whatever I have, let me be of service to the kingdom of heaven. Marriage is one way that we can serve the kingdom of heaven. And again, we'll talk about that next week. But Jesus says singleness is also a way that people can serve the kingdom of heaven. And some people choose that. They choose to be celibate. They choose to be single. They choose not to enter into a romantic relationship or get married or have sex because they're choosing to serve the kingdom of God in that particular way. Not because it's always easy, not because it always feels good, not because it's always fulfilling, but because they have found that they can serve God in that way. Because here's the thing, and again, we'll talk more about this next week, but, but marriage doesn't always make you happy. Marriage isn't always fulfilling. As Christians, Christian sexuality is about choosing to live our life however it is that we live our life, whether we're rich or we're poor, or we live in the United States or we live somewhere else in the world, whether we're a man or we're a woman, whether we're married, whether we're single, and surrendering everything to Jesus and saying, whatever I, I am and whatever I have, I want that to be of service to the kingdom of heaven. Now, Paul says very similar things. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 6. He says, and he, he's talking about marriage, and, and he says, this part he's saying as a concession and not as a command. We need to understand that. He says, not, now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Again, I mean, it's helpful to just stop and recognize that Paul the Apostle, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and Jesus himself are single, celibate men, right? So, so we have this huge category for singleness. The church should be a place where we celebrate singleness, where, where singles groups are not just a way to get people married off, you know what I'm saying? Where we actually celebrate singleness, because we say, hey, our king, our king stayed single. The, the, the man who wrote most of our New Testament, he stayed single. We love singles. We love singleness. And anybody who's chosen that as their life, whether for a short time or for a long time, hey, we are all about that here. Yes, we love marriage. Yes, marriage can be great and awesome and wonderful, but we also love singleness. And Paul says, hey, I wish that everyone, I wish that everyone was as I myself am, but he recognizes that each has his own gift from God. Again, when we read that, we think, okay, so you're saying do what makes you happy. <laughs> that's, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if you're single, if you're single right now, and, and he'll give some examples of people that are single for different reasons. If you're single, then right now at least, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're given the gift of singleness. See it as a gift. 
Embrace it as a gift. Use it as a gift. As if God is giving you this opportunity to serve God in a unique way that not everyone can. If you're single, you can serve God in a unique way that married people can't. That's Paul's whole point. He isn't saying, for some of you, singleness is going to make you happier than those of you that are married. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking anything about what makes you happy. He's talking about what puts you in a position where you, where you, you as a unique, gifted citizen of God's kingdom, where you can serve in a unique way with what God has gifted you. God has gifted you in a unique way. Jesus says the same thing. Some people are born eunuchs. Some people are made eunuchs by other people. That, that is situationally imposed celibacy on them. And Jesus says, see it as a gift. See it as a gift, not because it's fulfilling, not because that's what you wanted, not because it makes you happy, but because it puts you in a unique position to serve God and his kingdom. Paul is saying the same thing. Verse eight, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Again, widowhood is situationally imposed celibacy. It's situationally imposed singleness. Nobody chooses to be a widow or a widower. That's imposed upon them. But Paul says, if you find yourself in that situation, it's not the situation you chose. You didn't pursue that situation. You wanted to be married and your spouse died. Use this opportunity. Use this opportunity and ask yourself, could I serve God better if I remained single? Could I, could I serve God better if I remain single? Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe, maybe you've wanted to get married and you've just never had the opportunity. Maybe your spouse has died. There's a, a million reasons why someone might not be married. And Paul says, hey, this could be a tremendous opportunity for you to serve God in a unique way. And of course, he says in verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul isn't forbidding marriage. He's not saying, hey, if you're, if you're not married, you can't get married. Don't do it. No, he's not saying that. You can get married. So that, that's certainly an option. But notice, notice that there's only two options. For Christian people, there's only two options. Celibacy or marriage within a husband-wife relationship. Those are the two options. So either you don't, you don't have sex or you're married to someone of the opposite sex. But those are, those are your options. And, and you have those options. You, you can exercise that. You can get married if you want to get married. But if you're single, for as long as you are, see it as a gift. Use it as a gift. And then notice this. He says, if you cannot exercise self-control, he, he recognizes the passion attached to sex. And he says, if you can't exercise self-control, then you should marry. But, but think about what that means for those people that have, have chosen celibacy and have remained single over a lifetime. I want to sit at their feet. I want to sit at their feet and learn self-control from them. They have a tremendous amount to teach the church about self-control, don't they? Single people have a tremendous amount to teach the church. They can can help expose our our idolatry. 
They can say, you don't have to be in a romantic relationship in order to be a real, full, living human being. You don't have to engage in sex in order to live and have joy and to be fulfilled in Christ. You don't have to have these things. You can have these things, and they can be good things, but they're not ultimate things. Single people can teach the church those lessons. They can teach us self-control. They can expose our idolatry. Keep reading in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Paul says this, I, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man, the single man, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Now again, stop right there for just a second and say, is that how we treat singleness in the church? Do we say, hey, you're single. Yes, you have a tremendous amount of time and and mental energy that you can really focus on serving the Lord. Or do we say, let's find you somebody to marry. You know, let's look around and find you somebody to marry. And so we encourage single people to be consumed with the anxiety of finding a spouse. Paul says, oh, 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 oh. You don't have to fill your mind and your time with that. It's fine if, if that is what you choose to do, but, but the church needs to have this huge category for celebrating singleness and saying, hey, single people have a tremendous opportunity to serve God in an undistracted way that married people don't because married people have other responsibilities. Married people have other things that they have to be taken care of and single people don't have those exact same responsibilities and so they can serve God in a tremendously unique way. He says, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests... His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this, I say this for your benefit, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's that's what it's about to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So throughout this chapter, Paul is going to say, you know, if you're married, stay married. Live out your marriage. Do what you're supposed to do. But if you're unmarried because you're widowed or because you're divorced or because you've never been married, then at least consider the possibility that this is a moment in your life where you can serve God in a unique and undivided way. What if the church was passionate about sending missionaries that are single to places in the world that married people and people with family and young children can't go? Can't go. I mean, what if we encourage young men and say, listen, you can get married, that's great. If you want to get married, fantastic. We honor marriage. We love marriage. Marriage is good. Having children is great. It's wonderful. But it's not the only option. We need, we need single young men to go to dangerous countries where it's illegal to preach the gospel and we need them to go to preach the gospel there because people with families can't do that. And we need people that are willing to surrender their singleness and to live this kind of life that's dangerous for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of Jesus. We need women, we need young women who instead of pursuing the things that their friends are pursuing, They go to places in the world 
and help people and serve people and teach people that, peop- that women with families can't go and do things that women with families can't do? What, what if we had this huge category in our mind, in our conversation, in the church, where we, where we celebrated this, where we thought like Paul did? We thought if you're single, great, use your singleness for the Lord. If you're married, great, use your marriage for the Lord. Whatever condition, whatever situation, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, use it for the Lord. Don't pursue marriage just to make you happy. Don't pursue singleness just to make you happy. Pursue Jesus and use everything that you have and everything that you are to serve him. So here's how we could wrap all of this up. Jesus teaches us to see both self-imposed and situationally imposed celibacy as a gift not as a means of finding personal happiness and fulfillment, but as a means of serving the Lord and his kingdom. At least for the moment, it may not be permanent, it may not be their life situation, but at least for the moment, they're gifted, gifted from God, this opportunity of singleness. Use it to serve the Lord. It doesn't mean that it's always gonna be easy or fun or, or fulfilling, but neither is marriage. Marriage is not always easy or fun or fulfilling. Every every path of discipleship, however you serve Jesus, it's going to have its unique blessings and its unique challenges. And it's time that I think that we celebrate that. And it's time that we acknowledge that and say singleness has its unique challenges and its unique blessings. Marriage has its unique challenge and its its unique blessings. The gift of celibacy is a blessing to single people and also to the church. Because you, if you are single, you can serve the church and serve the Lord and serve the kingdom in unique ways. And you can teach married people things that are unique. You can teach us lessons on self-control and exposing our idolatry of romance and relationships and marriage and sex that that you are in a unique position to teach. So embrace whatever situation you find yourself in and use whatever you have and whoever you are. Father God, we, we thank you. We thank you for marriage. We thank you for children. We thank you for families. And Father, we thank you for the gift of singleness and celibacy and for those that have chosen that life. And even, Father, for those that have have not chosen that life but have found that life thrust upon them, we pray, Father, that wherever we find ourselves in whatever situation we are, that we can be content and that we can use our, our gifts, our blessings, our opportunities to serve and glorify you. Father, we've we've all we've all been selfish with the things that we've been given. We've pursued them as an end in themselves. We've been self-indulgent and selfish. And Father, we pray for your forgiveness. And we pray, Father, for renewal and transformation. We pray that today could be a new day uh, for us to pursue you and pursue your kingdom in new and exciting ways. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.